0: wow what an intro you like you know thanks thank you so much christian all right um i'm so glad that you guys uh you know would have me back you know the last time i was here uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I told a bunch of stories, and um, a lot of you just remember all the parts that were non-biblical, so today we're just going to be in the Bible, that's all. People kept coming up to me saying, hey, booger flippers, I was like, whoa, <laughs> like I said other things about the Bible, um, but uh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that uh, you guys would have me back um, what, an, what an honor it is to, to hang out with you guys again. Uh, I'm just going to say this, you look better than the last time. So you're getting better, you're looking better. Uh, the circumstances of course, you know, with Bob, you know, traveling and, and then getting uh, getting COVID and, and all of that, obviously those aren't the best circumstances. Uh, so when you called me, uh, there wasn't a lot of time. There wasn't a lot of time, uh, you know, to prepare. You know, you kind of have a sermon in your back pocket. It's a week before Christmas. They're all Christmas sermons. I can't speak about Gideon today. I'd be like, surprise, you know, it's got the story of Christmas, but we're, we're going to talk about Gideon. So um, in having to prepare, uh, you know, I, I have to say the Lord did a work in my own heart in terms of like trusting the Spirit of God to lead us, trusting the Spirit of God to, to, to say what needs to be said today. Uh, it requires surrender, and I, and I want to say this to you, to you guys in this room this morning, um, that we're here for, for, for more than just being in, in, in the seats and in the rows, but we're here to worship the living God, that I could just read a passage of Scripture, and we can sit and meditate and sit under the power of the Word of God, and that would be more than enough, but this morning, I, 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 my heart, I'm, I'm just confessing, my own heart had to be reposted in so many ways to fix my gaze on Jesus and, and say, Lord, whatever you will this morning, may it be done because I know, Lord, that you have already gone before me. He has already gone before us. Isn't that exciting? That is, that is the most encouraging thing. And so even this morning as I say this, I had to think about this, uh, uh, you know, laying down my heart. I was like, you know, today is the Super Bowl for the rest of the world. You know, it's a World Cup final. And only in America, people are like, yeah, I don't really care. When did America go? Like, they don't, they don't even care. But the rest of the world right now is gearing up for their Super Bowl. They're, like, fixed on the screens. Like, billions of people around the world are going to watch in about, uh, in about 30 minutes. They're going to watch France play Argentina, and they're all fixed. And I was like, I can't believe. Yeah, I <laughs> amen. I can't believe... I can't believe I didn't check my schedule, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, should have been, I should have been watching. And um, you know, in my notes, uh, you know, I'm like priorities, Rob. It's also my daughter's fifth birthday. I think that should come before the World Cup final. But it's also my daughter's fifth birthday, so I'm glad you didn't sing "Good, Good Father" because I would have been just crying like, oh my Lord, I'm not a good father. I should be at home. But um, but I'm here because I, I really feel like the Lord. Like I said. This word, today, this morning, you're not here by accident, that God is intentional. And um, we're seven days away from Christmas, and Christmas is a time that reminds us of God's intentionality and God making the things that he said will happen, happen. That God is not a promise breaker, but he's a promise maker and a promise fulfiller. And we find that Christmas, seven days before next week, what we are actually celebrating during this season is the fulfillment of this amazing promise. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, and we're gonna start in verse one here, but we're really gonna be focusing on six and seven, so we're gonna read this, this, this entire, entire bit here. It says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go, will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will, be, will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your promise. The promise, Lord, that you would break the yoke of slavery, that you would that you would completely obliterate darkness. Thank you, Lord, that we live on the other side of the cross where we already know that this prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. This morning, Father, speak to our hearts. Lead us, Lord. For those who are thirsty, Lord, may may their thirst be quenched by your Spirit, Lord. For those who are walking in darkness, may they see a great light. For those who are in deep despair and discouragement, may they receive your comfort this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. What an amazing passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those passages of scripture that's going to be read over and over again in many places over the next last few weeks and over the next few days. People will read this passage because it is such an amazing promise that God makes throughout the entire, their entirety of the Old Testament. You find that God is making a promise that he, he is going to make things right and He is going to send a Savior, a Messiah who will, who will save us. From the from the yoke of, of slavery and from the bondage of sin. And you find that in this passage of Scripture, God is speaking through Isaiah, and he's saying, hey, Isaiah, this is what I want you to say, that this is going to happen, and I'm going to make it happen. I love that um, in this passage of Scripture, we find that Christmas basically is an announcement of the kingdom. It says that, hey, listen, all these other things that we've put our hope in, we don't have to hope in them anymore because they will fail. But the kingdom of God, the promise of the coming of the kingdom, that is the thing that we look forward to the most and that is the most amazing promise that has ever been made to us. The coming of the kingdom. And everything else that we experience, if you put your hope in a, in a promotion, you know you've been promoted and, you, and it's failed to live up to expectations, right? If you put your hope in whatever it is that's in the box. I, I brought a hope box this morning because I know that there are gonna be boxes under the trees that carry a lot of, especially with little kiddos, that carry a lot of what they think is going to ultimately fulfill them. But we know that's not true because we all bought a kid a fidget spinner and it, and it lived for a while, annoyed the heck out of us, but it faded. But the kingdom is the only promise and the only hope that will never fail. I love this uh, looking at my own life and my own story, some of the wild things that happened in my life. One of the things that happened last year was I, 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 I decided, I was speaking in, in Florida and pretty close to Orlando, and I was like, I'm pretty close to Orlando, this is pretty cool, and so I, I, I was like, you know what, let's just go to Disney. I mean, we're in Orlando, and uh, this is when you know, I'm an immigrant, Like, because people save their entire lives. They don't go to Disney World on a whim. And I was just like, by faith, we're gonna go to Disney. You know, I'm telling my kids, we're going to Disney, we're going to Disney. I don't know what was in my heart. Maybe I was hoping that we'll be at a hotel right outside Disney, some family would be like, hey, we've had to leave, and we have four bands for tomorrow. Who would like them? I don't know, that's where my faith is at. All right, don't judge me, but I'm, I'm there with my family, book a hotel, and you know what, no one gives up their little Disney bracelets for anything. So we're standing there, we're now in the Disney vicinity, and we have one night, and I put all my faith in like, let's go to Disney, and I told my kids, we're going to Disney. I said, Disney, not Disney World, so that I wouldn't be a liar if it didn't work out, but I was like, Disney, and so I, I realized right then that there's this place called Disney Springs, and uh, and it's free, you know, and my kids won't know the difference. So we go to Disney Springs. They have the time of their lives, okay? Disney Springs, they're loving it. They're like, there's Anna and Elsa. But you know, Anna and Elsa don't move. They're just like statues in Disney Springs. Only, they only move in Disney World. And um, there was one ride in Disney Springs. There was this train that I could run faster than. I could run faster than the ride. And, and they, they went in that train. They were like, we're at Disney, this is amazing. Took pictures. And I was father of the year. I was father of the year for like two months. I'd walk into the house and I'd be like, who took you to Disney? I'd be like, you dead, dad. Like, that's right. You better know. And so one day I walked through the doors and I came home and and my my littlest one, she's about four, she looked at me with the saddest eyes and she said, I wanna go to the real Disney. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, which kid in pre-K snitched on me and told her that her experience, and I I can imagine my, my daughter went to school and maybe someone said, hey, who's been to Disney? My daughter's hand probably shot up and she started to describe the Disney she had been to and someone who had actually been to Disney World, someone who had been to the Magic Kingdom was like, yo, girl, you got the wrong place. You did not go to Disney World. And that is what I believe, what we see through the story of Christmas is that this, everything we hope for in this world is Disney Springs until Jesus Comes and says, Let me show you the kingdom. And in this passage of scripture, we know that is what Jesus did when he arrived. He said, This is what the kingdom is like. You have been settling for less, you have had your eyes fixed on the wrong thing. Let me tell you about the kingdom. I love that when Jesus arrives, he says, Many times you have heard it said. And then he says, but this is what the kingdom is like. So we find in this promise, what our hearts are waiting for is the hope, the hope that can never, ever be outdone by anything else. And we find that in the Old Testament, you find here through Isaiah, that God spoke through the prophets. God spoke through the prophets. He speaks through Isaiah, and in this passage of scripture, He points and he says, hey, he starts right in this and says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. This is the encouragement. I love that as I was listening to the sermon last week that Christian preached, the encouragement here is that whatever you're going through isn't gonna go on forever. That God is in control. That time of darkness that the people were in, as Jesus came, he was the great light that made that this, this would not go on forever, that we have hope. We, we, don't, we don't walk in this world as those who do not have hope, but we have hope. Amen. And from the time of this prophecy, we find that what is really happening here is that the gift has been purchased, that Jesus is not a plan B, that Jesus is not an afterthought, that Jesus is not like he wasn't a delayed promise, but that promise had already, been, it had already been set from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, that God looked upon Adam and Eve and he said, hey, there is an offspring, there is a descendant, there is one who is going to come and he is going to crush the serpent under his feet. We know that the promise was, all through the Bible, we're looking for the son. We're looking all through and we're saying, is this the son, is this the son? I don't know if any of you have done any Christmas shopping in the last few weeks, but you know when you click online and you buy that thing, you own it, right? Your bank has already taken your money. The thing has already been bought. But there's this little thing, quote unquote, shipping and handling that has to happen. And from Genesis to Matthew, all it is is that it has been purchased, it has been done, and we're just reading through the shipping and handling. And we're going, when is it gonna come? When is it gonna arrive? And finally, as you did last week, you land in Matthew chapter one. And finally, it's like that day when you're waiting for that package to come and you see that UPS truck or that Amazon truck outside your house. And you see that man like just come and just drop that on your front door and you're like, the gift is here. That's what we see. That the Lord was sure to come through. I wanna say this. And this is a bonus, not even in my notes. For some of us, we've prayed prayers in this room and it feels like God hasn't answered those prayers. I want you to know that at times, and not for everyone, because the gift, the one thing that God has promised us completely, he has already fulfilled through Christ. Even if nothing else were to happen and go our way in this life, it has already been, God has already overdone something through the cross of Christ. But we find that for some of us, As we await, it is that period of shipping and handling where we are, our faith is formed. It is where we are strengthened. It is where our character is built. It is where perseverance is built in us. And we find in those moments as we wait, God is at work and he's doing something. And so we find here that Jesus is the hope that they're talking about. Jesus is the hope that Isaiah is talking about. And there are many things, as I was reading this and studying this, that, you know, for many people, they, they may have thought they, that Isaiah was talking about Hezekiah. But we find that he's not talking about Hezekiah. Because Hezekiah, he, he has, here's the deal. There are names that are given. Like God says, hey, this is what I want you to say. And then he defines what, 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 this, what this child will be called. He defines himself. He says, this is how you will know that this is the Messiah. This is how you will know that this is the one that I'm talking about. And he says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Hezekiah might have been some of these things, but he couldn't have been a Mighty God. And so we know that this is talking about Jesus. We know that too because we see later on in the Bible that writers in the New Testament would point back to Isaiah 9 and say, "Hey, now that we've seen Jesus, we know that this is Jesus that was being spoken about." But I want to say this as I, as I as I as as we dive even deeper into this that I love the fact that in this passage of scripture God defines who God is. That we find that uh, oftentimes that, that we struggle with the fact that if God, if God doesn't define who he is, we would gladly try and define him. We would go, listen, if, if it's not clear, I would rather, I, I want to put my little stamp on what I think God looks like or what God is like. But the Bible already defines who God is. God says, I will tell you who I am. God defines who he is. God gets to define who he is. I often hear people sometimes, especially in this time where people are wrestling with their faith, some, if you're maybe in this room, just deconstructing, that's the word that's used a lot. And it's like, you know, I I don't know. Sometimes it's like uh, the Jesus I follow would never fill in the blank. And I I often say, hey, with all due respects, (laughs) Jesus has already defined who he is. God has already defined who he is. Sometimes I used to be a young adult pastor who, who I, I, would, I would hear people say, yeah, but you know the, ooh, who Jesus is uh, and the, you know, the, the Old Testament, I, I can't put them together. And I, and, I, and I just remind them and I say, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of that Old Testament. That Jesus looks back that Jesus loves those words, and he says, that that is setting the stage. It says that Jesus, when he met the the disciples on the the road to Emmaus, he said, let me show you through the Old Testament that it's talking about me. That the Bible is about Jesus, and he gets to define who he is. He doesn't leave room for us to go and shape him. I I read a quote the other day, it says, God made man in his own image, and man being a gentleman returned the favor. And if if the God you worship agrees with everything you agree with, votes the way you vote, likes watching the TV shows you like watching, it might be a God that you've created in your own image. But a God who challenges us and presses against us and is shaping us and we are surrendering to his will, that is the God that I'm reading about in the Bible. I'll tell you there are many times I wake up and read the Bible and say, well, I, I, I wish it were like this or I wish this story ended like this. But you know, the reality is God, I, 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 don't, fit, I don't fit God into my box. God says, Rob, you fit into what I've called you to be. And so God defines who he is. God defines God. And we see that Isaiah puts out this, uh, this APB and says, this is who Jesus would be. This is who the Christ would be. Here's who, who the Messiah would be. And we find that in one of those names, and there, there are four of them. I could go through all of them, but we will be here till way after the World Cup. So here's the deal. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna focus in on, uh, and zoom in on one of those names, and, and it says that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. I love that. You know, the word for wonderful here in the Hebrew is Pala, which means inco- incomprehensible, miraculous. It says that, that, that Jesus is, is wonderful, like we cannot comprehend him. That, that, that we, can't, he, we can't just put his, his, his wonderfulness into a box that we can fully understand. And if you read the New Testament, you'll find that there was no box for Jesus. You'll find that people were like, okay, he's a healer. And then the next thing you'll be like, Lazarus, get out of that grave. He's like, okay, he raises people from the dead. I didn't know he could do that. And then, if you opened blind eyes, you'd find that he'd do it one way over here, and another way he'd spit in the mud. There was no formula to Jesus. Incomprehensible, but he was wonderful. And I'll say this we must never lose our wonder for Jesus. We must never lose our wonder for Jesus because I believe that the miraculous work, and I'm not talking here about just just physical healing or anything, spiritual revival. If we lose our wonder for Jesus, we will never see that miracle where we hope to see these doors jam-packed, people coming in this place and people going out into this community and they're being transformed by the miraculous power of His wonderful nature. We would never see that. Because we find that even in Matthew chapter 13, I, I love this passage, Jesus was teaching, and people were amazed. They're like, this guy's wonderful. And then they changed their tune as they tried to fit him in a box and define him, and they were like, wait, 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 wait. This is amazing, but isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, isn't this just Jesus? We should never just settle for for a just Jesus. We, we must settle for a wonderful Jesus, a wonderful counselor. And We find here that he is wonderful, he is so wonderful, and out of that, we find that out of that wonder, out of that wonderfulness, miraculous things are the things that come. And One of the biggest miracles, I'll tell you, is the fact that you're sitting here, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is the biggest miracle. And I know even, I I don't care if you were born at a a Chris Tomlin concert and your first words were Jesus. The fact that you know him, it means that that is a wonderful, miraculous work that you can never comprehend. And I know sometimes we get very churchy and we're now good and prim and proper and we do our devotions twice a day. And so we kind of think I didn't need Jesus to spill all that blood on the cross, maybe just a drop for me because I was kind of good. No. You are a miracle. It is a miracle that you know Jesus. It is a miracle that you have faith in your heart. And some of us just have to look at even a sibling that we were raised with, ate the same Cheerios, watched the same Dawson's Creek, and they don't know Jesus and you do. That is a miracle. I remember once I was preaching in Zimbabwe and I'd gotten this in my head that, ah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm good, I'm so far. And a guy came down after I'd pre- finished preaching, came down from the top of the stairs and he was like, Rob, I can't believe it. And he walked down and he was like, I cannot believe it. And I was around all my other friends, all the other leaders, and he kept looking at me. He was like, I can't believe that you are a Christian. I was like, how bad was I? <laughs> And it reminded me that no matter how good we think or how close we think we might have been, some people to you being in this place is a miracle. Amen. Like, Jesus it must have taken a lot of work for you to be a Christian. Never forget that. So we find that he is the wonderful counselor. And he leads us into these places where we're able to see even in this season, just how amazing Jesus is. You know, when we look at God's word, there's a real connection here, maybe some homework for you to do. Go and find like, the, 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 the comparisons and the connections between Isaiah 9 and John chapter 1. And you'll find that there's so many things that happen that John, as he introduces who Jesus is, how many of those parallels connect to this this prophetic word that that, that Isaiah had. And you'll find all these amazing things, this light that comes uh, to the darkness. You find that the word that is in the beginning, you find that John is the one who paints Jesus as not coming and not being just a word that was spoken through the times, but who was right there at the beginning of time that Jesus was present. You find that, and you find that even through Jesus' word, Even through Jesus' counsel, we find that these things that we see around us were made, the mountains were formed. We find that it was through the word that there was even light. Jesus. And I look at this passage of Scripture, and I I, want to point to something here. I point to... You know, we, we sometimes look at baby Jesus in, in the manger, which is amazing, and, and which is an amazing story, powerful. We need to know that, the, that this hope package came in a vulnerable state, that God was like, listen, Jesus is going to come, and there's going to be all of this that's going to happen. Even last week with the genealogy, we find the imperfection in some of the people in, in Jesus' genealogy. We find that God didn't have the straight, perfect way of bringing about this promise, but God used brokenness, God. Used all these other things, all these factors, even upon Jesus' death, uh, his birth, that were that were so like catastrophic all around him. There were they, people were dying. It was like this promise had to be birthed through a lot of pain, and we find that we see that in, in, in the Christmas story. But I want to I want to I want to fast forward to a passage of scripture in John chapter two when Jesus arrives on the scene and declares his glory. He says, "This is who I am." We find that it is in John chapter two, verses one to 10, we find here that at the wedding at Cana, we find this is where Jesus pitches up and this is the first miracle that Jesus performs and we find that there is a connection between John chapter two and Isaiah Isaiah nine. And we find it is through this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine where his glory, his glory is shown for the first time. You know, one of the gifts I brought here, you know what I mean? And I need to watch the time here. But One of the gifts I brought was, uh, I don't know who remembers this. Does anyone remember what this is? If anyone still has this, you know, we'll be praying for you after, right underneath the Christmas tree there. (laughs) I don't even know how you found your way here without GPS. But anyone remember this? Anyone remember flip phone? Flip phones were cool back in the day. Like some of you were like, oh, if I'm not going to have a phone, a flip phone. And uh, it's the satisfaction of hanging up on people, like just slamming it. <laughs> you, know, you know what? This is amazing, right? But, but you know, I, I remember this. I remember even being in Africa, watching, watching um, it's like how many phones are in there? I remember watching... Uh, the first keynote in 2007 when Steve Jobs, weirdly enough, I'm wearing a black, po- uh, black turtleneck, but when Steve Jobs got on a stage and he said, hey, and he was walking around with this thing in his pocket and he was like, the thing I'm going to introduce to you today is a, an iPod and it's a phone and it's an internet communicator and everyone was waiting for this chunky thing somewhere to pop up in the back and at the end of this keynote, he says, and it's been in my pocket the whole time, it's the iPhone and the world was like, woo, what is that? I can't believe it. There are no buttons. And for some of you who are like, oh, this is the end. This is the end of the world. Phones have no buttons. Uh, prepare yourself, you know. Doomsday bunker is going to be filled, you know. But, but it was revolutionary. We had never seen a phone with no buttons. And we find that there was this three-in-one nature of this thing that was so powerful, so mesmerizing, that changed Every phone after it. And we find that in Jesus, when he came, he was this ultimate package that was three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all packed up into this one, this one baby that landed in, in Bethlehem. And, and then we find that he, he grew up and he was in Canaan. It's like the power of God, it's just, it's present in him. Everything compressed and packaged in Jesus. And we find himself at this wedding in Cana, and we find that Jesus, at this wedding, if you've read the passage, you'll find that they ran out of wine at this wedding, and Mary went to Jesus, and Mary, Mary was like, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And if it's your first time reading the Bible, you'd be like, what's the big deal? They should just run to the giant, get some, some of that Josh, you know, and, and, and get back to the wedding, but But that wasn't the case. Running out of wine was catastrophic. It meant that the bride and the groom could be prosecuted and Mary is running to Jesus because she knows Jesus is the only one who can save the day. And here's what I'm gonna tell you this time, this time of year in this Christmas period, is we must all do what Mary did. When we are confronted and faced with difficulty, when we're confronted with the things in this life, when we're confronted with the ups of this life, we must go to Jesus first. Not WebMD, Jesus. We must go to Jesus first because in him, in his presence, actually lies the very answers that we hope for. In Jesus is the counsel that is so wonderful that no matter what you're going through in your life, in Jesus you'll find comfort, in Jesus you'll find direction, in Jesus you'll find that he would tell you, hey, obey this and see what happens. It is in Christ that we find that. And we find that in this in this passage of scripture that Jesus was invited to this wedding, and I want to encourage us this Christmas period. Like if you haven't, if you have uninvited Jesus, invite him back into your life. If you're running around frantically, and I know I'm guilty of this, running in Costco, kicking other people's cards, trying to get a squishy mellow. And we find that if you're in this season of life and it's frantic, maybe pause for a second and invite Jesus back into that space. His presence at this party, his presence at this wedding was the most amazing thing. It was the biggest, it was the greatest invitation that this groom and this bride sent out to have Jesus' presence there. Because when they ran out of wine, the solution was right there as a guest. I don't know if any of you have ever met someone famous or in Iraq, bumped into someone famous, and you know, I don't know if you get starstruck. I get a little starstruck, and I'll tell you this. For Africans, when we come to America, like that is the thing. Like you know, We are looking for celebrities. That's all we want. We're like, ah, I met this person. It doesn't matter. C-list celebrity, I don't care who it is. It could be someone who was on a show in the 70s. I'll be like, I'm taking a picture with you, and I'm sending it to my friends in Africa, right? And I remember... We were in uh, Southern California once, and uh, my friend who lives there, we were, we were parked in this parking lot, my wife needed the bathroom, and, 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 and I remember my friend, there's this black SUV that pulled up next to us, and my friend said, hey, that's someone famous. Is, you don't, I mean, you, do not, you just do not tell Africans that. And we're like, what, a, who, who is it? Who could it be? And, and, and you know, we watched this SUV right beside us, and, and we looked at it, and it was like, I don't know, like how you guys wait in the Serengeti for a lion to pounce an impala. We waited for the celebrity to come out of this car. And before we knew it, uh, out, out stepped out five-time NBA champion Kobe Bryant. He just walked out of this SUV, there's no one in the Starbucks, and, 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 and we found that there was no one in there and he was waiting for a mobile order. So we were like all frantic and yeah, let's get into the Starbucks. So we devised a plan to get into the Starbucks, walked in there, we're like, um, we'll have your cheapest drink. Ended up paying seven bucks and um, we're waiting and uh, we know he's gonna come back into the Starbucks. We're waiting for Kobe. Our plans have changed, we're waiting for Kobe now. And, um, and, uh, and he walks through the doors and it's like slow-mo. It's like, ah, Kobe Bryant walks through the <laughs> doors and I look at him, it's only us in the Starbucks. Kobe, it's Kobe, myself, my friend and my daughter. And, and, and I choke, I, I look him in the eye and he knows I know who he is, and I just choke. i was like, oh, and I was like, the moment's gone. Moment's gone, this is embarrassing. As I turned away, I was like, I can't muster up the courage to say hi to Kobe. My daughter, who was like about four or five at the time, she says at the top of her voice, she says, who's Kobe? Because she had heard us like jumping around in the car. And Kobe knows we know. And so we ended up, you know, I walked up and I said, hey, Mr. Brian, my daughter's a big fan. Can we get a picture? <laughs> and um, I don't know if you have that picture. We ended up taking a picture of Kobe Bryant in a Starbucks. And, um, but you can see, I'm holding my daughter this way because it's my moment so that I can, <laughs> I can crop her out, you know, I can crop her. <laughs> it's my moment. <laughs> You know, you can't take this away from me. But you know, like, just like the Lord would do, after that moment, I go back home and I'm opening the word of God and the Holy Spirit reminds me about what had happened last night. It's like, can you see what you did to inconvenience yourself to get into the presence of Kobe? It's like, Rob, the living God. <laughs> hey, the living God. What do you do in your life to get into my presence? It's almost like your schedule has to clear up completely for you to make time for me. But you bought a coffee at 7 p.m. that you were never gonna drink with money that you don't have to meet with Kobe. And that just convicted my heart, church, this morning. That we should run to his presence. That his presence is actually, you know, and I know this is cliche, it is the presence. That is the gift. And it's like Jesus is the reason why we're in here. his word has transformed our lives. And that if we keep our eyes fixed on him, that is the most important thing. The most important thing. They have run out of wine. The solution was Jesus. In this season, I don't know what you've run out of in your life. If you've run out of that wine, I assure you Jesus is here to pour new wine into you. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I am here to pour out into your life. And when we look at John chapter two, we find that Jesus, the miracle there was not Jesus just coming so that he could provide more drinks at a wedding. But Jesus was actually foreshadowing what he was going to do, that the wine actually represents his blood And Jesus was foreshadowing how he was going to come and save us from prosecution, from guilt and shame through the power of his blood being spilt for us on the cross. You'll find in that story in John chapter two that Jesus asked them to fill the, 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 the water, the jars that were used to hold water for the Jewish rites of purification. Jesus said, fill those jars with water. And those jars he made wine saying that you, could, you can no longer purify yourself, but someday, when my hour has come, my blood will be what purifies you. And Jesus is doing so much in this passage of Scripture uh, to fill this place with his glory, saying, I have come to fulfill this prophecy. I've come to fulfill what the Father always, always, was always saying about me. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to bring hope to those in the dark." So here's the thing, my last little gift as I close. So I look at this passage of scripture, I brought a lot of things, I was gonna bring wine, but I brought Martinelli's, wasn't sure about your status and your state on uh, alcohol and stuff. I'm coming from a Presbyterian church, so this would have been a, a very alcoholic bo- bottle of wine. <laughs> but the last thing here that I have is a story that I saw in this, in this, in this a few years ago. It was about this art, exhibit in Miami, and in this art exhibit in Miami, there was this famous, famous, famous painting that was auctioned off, and it was auctioned for $120,000. And I look at this, and uh, the painting that was auctioned for $120,000 wasn't really a painting at all, it was just a duct tape banana to a canvas. And I read this story and I laughed. I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, I've been trying to raise money, trying to raise funds. If you have a church building project, can you imagine all you had to do was like duct tape like 20 bananas onto a canvas, sell them for 120K and you're there. But it wasn't that straightforward, church. The reason why the duct tape banana in that that story was so popular was because of the artist that had created this. You know, some of you in this room this morning, Christmas is a very difficult and complicated time for you. For some of you in this room this morning, you might be far from the Lord, you might not even know Him, and you might feel right now like God couldn't have come for you because you're so sinful. You might think in this this morning that your sin is what disqualifies you from entering the presence and coming to God and saying, Lord, here I am, because you feel like you're a duct tape banana. Just unattractive, there's nothing amazing about you. And you might feel in your life right now that you've messed up so much. You might feel like you, your sin is as long as a CVS receipt. You might feel that way. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, That that is exactly who Jesus came for. That the story that we talk about at Christmas is not for the perfect. It's not that Jesus came for those who are already whole. Jesus said, I've come for the sick. Jesus says, I've come for those who, who, who have been disqualified by the Pharisees. Those who are told don't even come close. Jesus said, those are the very ones that I've come for. And so this morning, if you, if you feel like a duct tape banana, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to give you a feel-good message and say that you're a Picasso. Maybe you're not. Maybe you are a duct tape banana. But because of the cross of Christ, because of what happens at Christmas, I want to remind you that it is not because you're a duct tape banana. It's because you're an expensive duct tape banana because someone was willing to pay through the blood of Jesus Christ and his life and, his, and, the, and the and the pain that he had to bear on the cross for you. That is what determines your value that when you, the duct tape banana were down here yeah, and maybe some people up in there were like, those are the guys that you're going to send Jesus for. This doesn't make sense. And God says, but that is what I'm going to give my one and only son for. Throughout the word, throughout the Old Testament, that is what God is illustrating through all these stories. Abraham taking Isaac on the mountain and about to sacrifice him. God is saying, you're not going to have to because I'm going to have to. Because that is what you're worth to me. I can stand up here at church and say, I'm imperfect. My value doesn't come from what I can do or preaching a good sermon. Whether or not I can make a certain amount of money in a year. My value's already been decided and determined by the gift that we celebrate in seven days and the gift that we look at when we look upon that empty cross and say, our Savior died on that cross and they buried him and three days later, he rose again. And that is where our hope is fixed. Would you join me in praying? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this season. And Lord, that you came to save us. You came to rescue us, Lord. That you didn't leave us hopeless, Lord, but you gave us a hope, Lord. A hope that is an an anchor for our souls, Lord. So we know, Father, that in this season, maybe we've forgotten your presence. Maybe we haven't invited you, Lord. Maybe we've forgotten that you are wonderful. Maybe we've forgotten that you are mighty. Maybe we've forgotten, Lord, that you're an, you're an everlasting father and a prince of peace. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would bring, that you would be all those names to us, that you would make those things very clear to our hearts. I pray for those in this room, in this season, Lord. Maybe, they, maybe they've taken their gaze off of you, Lord. I pray this morning, Father, with hearts full of repentance, Lord, that they would come running back to you, Jesus. Thank you for everything that you've given us through Christ. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. A little too much. <laughs> I've got it there.
1: Kept me watching, over Saturday. Hallelujah. <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ is born, oh, tell them Jesus is oh, he's born, he's the Savior of the world. Amen. Wow, um, what a gift, what a gift, what a gift to remind us not to lose our wonder in Jesus. And so can we thank Rob again for bringing such a great word? May this remind us and challenge us to not lose our wonder about who Jesus is, to always be open to what it is that God can do in our life. We're going to continue this celebration, this remembrance of what he's done uh, next week here at the CLC, not on Sunday, but on Saturday night. With their Christmas Eve services, everybody's welcome. Let's share this incredible, profound story with everybody. So I want to encourage you guys, if you have any questions about that, let us know or check out the website. Um, but I want to send you guys off with a blessing. May we go in the grace and the peace and in the wonder and in the mystery of our Lord God given to us in a baby, crucified and risen again. May we remember this as we celebrate that our package is in shipment. It's ordered, it's been paid for, and it's almost here. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week.
1: Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus Christ is born. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Time. And darkness seems to win. Where are you now when the